Welcome to Questioning Your Answers podcast, where we explore beauty and transform our narratives. I want to invite you to join me in a meditation on the meaning of the cross. How is this event still relevant to our lives and to our communities? You know, 2,000 years ago, there was a community in turmoil, in confusion, oppressed by a foreign power, and eventually the frustration and the anger spilled over into the brutal murder of an innocent man called Jesus. What does that story have to do with your story? I can remember as a child we had a children's Bible and my parents often read some of the stories uh, to me and my brothers uh, before bedtime. I love the stories of the miracles, the, the healings, the parables, but I really did not like where it was all inevitably leading. The jealousy, the anger that would eventually cause this community to murder the very guy that's trying to help them. That was upsetting. <laughs> you know, as I grew up in a faith community and in church, as many of you have, you eventually realize that we place enormous significance on that event. In fact, it became so significant that the parables and the, the life of Jesus seemed to be neglected within the gospel story. What was really significant was this transaction that happened on the cross. Now, that is one way of interpreting it, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. The idea that the wages of sin is death, uh, sin angers God, and eventually his justice demands punishment, and his wrath is finally satisfied in the brutal murder of his own son. That is one way of interpreting it and I want to offer a completely alternative way of seeing the wonder, the beauty of this event and its relevance to your life and maybe we'll visit some of the transactional understanding a bit later but what I want to do is, is first look at this whole process that leads to the culmination of his death and maybe later on we'll get to resurrection but what what are the events the the context that can give us an alternative understanding and i will call that alternative understanding uh, unveiling or a revelation of what is real rather than a transaction that somehow changes God. It is a revelation that unveils the reality about 
humans, the reality about our community and the reality about God. And it is that illumination that can transform um, our lives even today. Now in Matthew 23, Jesus speaks to the very people who in a few weeks time was going to murder him. He, I think, already knows the inevitable conclusion of his story. Um, I don't think he knew it all from the very beginning, but by this stage, it seems that he has, he has made peace with the fact that this is my destiny. And so he's speaking to the people that are going to accuse him, that's going to execute him. And he tells them, in effect, that the event of his death will be nothing unique. Wow. Let that sink in. I think I might be crucified if somebody just takes that sentence out of context, but... Jesus is saying that the event of my death is nothing new. It's nothing, there's nothing unique about that. You've always done it. You've always murdered the prophets. You've all, always executed those who um, caused chaos within your stable communities. And so if the event is not unique... What makes it significant? You see, Jesus is touching on something that many people who have studied the literary history of our world realized, that this story of a dying and rising God is ancient, even before the Hebrew Bible were written. We've got origin myths that describe a community in crisis, a community in chaos. And the chaos eventually spills over. The anger reaches a boiling point and somebody is chosen to die. And the death of this person is such a cathartic release for the community that peace follows. Now, all of that is part of ancient myths. And, you know, there, there's often been biblical scholars that want to say that the biblical story has, it has got nothing to do with myth. It's not at all the same story as in myth. But C.S. Lewis actually understood and C.S. Lewis, obviously a, a literary genius, one who studied all the literature, said, no, actually, we've got to be honest, this is the same story. Um, a friend of mine the other day showed me a beautiful little clip in which uh, Jordan Peterson discusses this theme with somebody, you know, the, the mythology, the many dying and rising gods, and there's a beautiful moment in which he becomes very emotional as he starts speaking about Jesus repeating this story. And he quotes uh, C.S. Lewis, 
who was contrary to all the other nervous interpreters of scripture quite boldly stating this is the same story but what Lewis recognized as unique in Jesus is that for the first time it is not just a myth it actually happens with as a historic event now that is significant and, and beautiful in what C.S. Lewis uh, acknowledges there, but René Girard actually takes this a step further and a step deeper. He tells us that the other myths also have their origin in actual events. Now the writing style, all of that might be different, but the other myths that tells of chaos, of violence, and of the creation of a new community, underlying those myths are real historical events in which a troublemaker <laughs> was executed. And in his execution, a new peace descended onto the community. And because of this new peace, the very one that they demonized, they now divinized. They uh, acknowledged that his death brought peace. So in that sense, the death of Jesus is a repetition of historic events that has occurred from the very foundation of our world. Hmm. It reminds me of a beautiful text, the lamb slain from the foundation of our world. Maybe in each one of those events, God was already putting in front of humanity a different interpretation. And this is exactly what Gerard says happens in Jesus. It is not the events that are different but the interpretation of what is actually occurring here that is different. So how does, the, how does the death of Jesus, how does the interpretation differ from the interpretation given in myths? Now this is significant because I think much of Christian doctrine is simply a continuation of the pagan interpretation of what the death and resurrection uh, or, or a dying and rising God means. The pagan interpretation has always been that the gods are angry, <laughs> we are angry, somebody did something wrong, and the only way to restore peace to our community is to find the guilty party, to, to act as the instruments of God in bringing judgment, and that somehow the brutal death of this guilty party would restore peace to our communities. Now, to a very large extent, Christian doctrine have said the same. They, they 
rightfully acknowledged that Jesus was innocent, but they still, at that transaction point, imputes all the sin of all humanity onto Jesus. That's where all sin, all wrongdoing, all the things that offended God is now placed upon Jesus so that God's wrath can be satisfied in his brutal murder. That interpretation of the meaning of the cross is nothing new. That is a continuation of the old and ancient pagan understanding of who God is. That he demands violence. He demands blood to satisfy um, himself and to change his attitude from being really upset to being kind again. Actually, what happens in Jesus is an unveiling of this process. You see, Jesus, <laughs> what makes this event so significant is what John calls the incarnation. John sees in Jesus not just a, a, a human being in some distant relationship with God, but he sees that in his life and in his experience, the very mind of God became flesh. So John 1, you know, this word through whom all things are created, this word that becomes flesh in the person of Jesus unveils a truth that has always been. And that is that God is present in our existence in a more intimate way than what we've ever imagined. He's not just present you know, floating around here observing us, but rather he partakes of our experience. What you experience, God experience. And so in Jesus, we see a human being who knows the joys of friendship, who knows the, the joy of eating with his friends, who experiences also the suspicions, the injustices that our community uh, are capable of. And ultimately, because he consistently walks in the truth, the ultimate result is that the community, the principalities, the powers, the principles upon which we've built our communities will have to get rid of someone who exposes the truth so consistently. So the cross in the... Let me first make it maybe personal and then what it means in society. The cross is an unveiling that God doesn't just understand our joys and, and the reality of mundane life, but he also understands and feels and experiences with us the injustices, the pain, the brutality of being human. There are verses, uh, you know, when Paul speaks about him descending into hell, 
it's so beautiful how a God is unveiled who does not abandon us no matter where we are. A God who would rather descend into hell than live without us. It's the same thing that David says in, in the Psalms, that even if I make my bed in hell, you are there, your arms surround me. So the cross is a beautiful unveiling of the extent to which God is present and intimately involved with each one of us. But it is also a subversion of the myths of an angry God who justifies our violence and who delights in blood. You see, the mythic interpretation is God justifies our violence. How often have we used and still use that argument? Every nation who goes into war uh, have got their religious priests who have to come and indoctrinate those who are going to give their life lives to to convince them that this is a just war this is uh god is for you god will protect you and destroy our enemies that myth in which our violence is justified and the violence of others are evil that is one of the myths that's being subverted here because Jesus unveils a God who suffers our violence, not one who justifies it. Jesus unveils a God who is with us, even if we suffer unjustly. Not a God who feels compelled to stir up his followers to um, sharpen their swords, to get their gun licenses, to do what is necessary to defend their rights. Now he unveils a God who would rather suffer our violence than justify our violence. Hmm. And so... That transactional view, <laughs> I think, has got much in common with the pagan way of understanding this event of, of death and resurrection. But the alternative view that, that Jesus comes to, to show us is that God is present even in those who suffer. God will never leave you nor forsake you. God understands you and is part of your story in its highs and in its lows. And even in this time in which we meditate upon what Jesus suffered, I want you to, in that very instant, know that what God demonstrated there is that He knows what you suffer and he is able to transform your story because remember the cross is not the end of the story <laughs> this story continues and maybe we'll do another little chat and video when we
get to the resurrection in a little bit. My friends, your story is so relevant to God. And God's story is so relevant to you. Because he, in Jesus, he demonstrated that our stories are intertwined. That he loves your story. He loves your life. And he comes not to demand your blood. <laughs> but he comes to unveil the depth of his understanding and forgiveness. Real forgiveness. Not the forgiveness that demands blood. But the forgiveness that is absolutely free and gracious. Bless you. Bye. Thank you for joining us today and please don't forget to subscribe on our website qyourapodcast.com.